I'm pulling away from the curb. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. And I dropped my kids off at school. Okay, so last we left off, we were talking about War of the Spark. So I'm going through and telling stories by different cards. Uh, So we are up to E, I believe. So we're going to start today with Enter the God Eternals. So this spell costs two blue, blue, black. So five mana total, two of which is blue, one of which is black. It's a sorcery. It says, Enter the God Eternals deals four damage to target creature, and you gain life equal to the damage dealt this way. Uh, Target player puts the top four cards of their library into their graveyard, a mass four. Remember, a mass means put whatever the number is. Four plus one plus one counters on an army you control. If you don't control one, create a zero, zero black zombie army creature token first. Okay, so one of the things I talk a lot about this was a story. Like, we're telling a story. More... I mean, not that every magic set doesn't have some story, but this one was very story-focused. And that one of the big things was, um, when Doug originally sort of created this, they, there's a whole battle. There's a whole, it's not just, oh, there's a fight. The, the fight begins in the morning, it goes through the midday, it comes into the dusk, and then it ends at night. And it's an it's a all-day-long all fight. Um, and there's a lot of different parts to it. So... One of the things that happens, one of the things that Doug definitely wanted to do was have some back and forth from the fight. Part of what makes the fight interesting is, like, one side seems to be winning and the other side seems to be winning. So what happens early on in the story is Bolas opens the portal, the Eternals start spilling out, uh, and the Dreadhorde army is you know, just killing civilians left and right, and the Planeswalkers and some of the Ravnikans jump in to try to protect them. And first, they're starting to beat back the zombies. You know, it, it, there's a lot of zombies... Um, but they're, they're, they're starting to win. And that's when through the portal comes the God Eternals. Okay, so for those who remember their um, Amenket, our devastation story, um, when, the gate, when the Gate Watch went to, um, to Amenket, they, they met that there was five gods, that the, the world had five trials, each god had a trial, and the gods represented something. Um, and they met the gods. And then, in Hour of Devastation, there were three other gods that were the, the multicolored gods that were bolus colors. So blue, black, black, red, and red, blue. Um, and they came and killed four out of the five of the gods. Uh, Hazaret got away, um, but the other four gods got killed. Uh, and we, we just thought, like, oh, the gods are dead. But we find out here, dun, 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 you know, Bolas wastes nothing. He had some god corpses. He had some, uh, you know, some uh, uh, zombie-making material lying around. Let's make some zombie gods. So uh, through the portal walks four giant zombie gods. And like, oh, this is going to be a problem. Uh, and so this moment, this spell represents the entering of the God Eternals, which is a big turning point where the Planeswalkers are winning, but then the gods show up. And the gods, a little harder to deal with than the average um, Eternal. Uh, and so this spell was trying to represent that. Um, one of the things I think they wanted is when there were big moments, I think they liked the idea of uh, having sorceries and instants, having spells represent the big moment. And so the idea here was there were four God Eternals that enter. So let's really hammer home four. Well, we will drain you for four. We will mill you for four. We will amass for four. Um... So really, we're trying to hammer home, like, <coughs> enter of the four God Eternals. So the number four, that's why there's so many fours here, is because we're really trying to hammer home that. Um, as I always talk about, there's a lot of aesthetic things that are really nice that you, having numbers repeated definitely feels 
like, this spell essentially does three completely different effects. It is draining you, it is milling you, it is making an army. And normally those effects don't really have anything to do with each other, but all of a sudden you just, you tie a number to them and it starts making them feel more cohesive. This is a lot of uh, the power of aesthetics and that having something unify them takes things that normally might be completely disconnected. What is draining and milling and creating creatures have to do with each other? But through the use of a singular creature and a flavor, it's the God Eternals, um, takes a spell that might seem, um, you know, unconnected and makes us feel more cohesive and whole. Uh, and I, I, for that reason, I think it's, it's a pretty cool spell. Okay, next. Evolution Saga. Okay, so Evolution Saga costs two and a green, so three mana total, one of which is green. It's a 3-2 Elf Druid, so it's a creature. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, proliferate. So proliferate is choose any number of permanents and or players, then given each other counters of each kind already there. So um, one of the things we do whenever we, we bring back a mechanic is we always examine it and say, are there little tiny tweaks to how it works that we want to sort of retweak? Uh, and we did here with, with um, proliferate. What we did basically is before, uh, let's say a creature or a player had more than one counter. You were forced to choose one of the counters and you only proliferated that counter. This one instead says, look, I look at all, once you choose a creature or choose a player, you get to proliferate every kind of counter they have. So for example, if a player has an experience counter and an energy counter, you can choose to give them both an energy counter and um, an experience counter. Uh, and the idea here is, um, the reason we did this is one, it just makes the card slightly more powerful and it just makes uh, less clicks in digital. It just makes it a little cleaner of a template. Um, now it is true if uh, a player has both a positive and a negative counter, although they're really only negative counters, not a lot of negative counters, poison being the big one. Um, the idea is if, if your uh, opponent has a poison counter and an energy counter or experience counter, you have to choose whether to give them both counters, the positive and the negative, or not give them, uh, and you have that decision to make. That doesn't happen very often. I mean, in general, there's more positive things than negative things. Also, on creatures, the most negative thing you would find on a creature is a minus one, minus one counter, but because plus one, plus one counters and minus one, minus one counters negate each other, it is very hard to have a creature with both a positive and a negative counter on it. Uh, not impossible, but very unlikely. So this change cleaned it up, made it easier for digital, and just made a more powerful mechanic. Although it, every once in a while it does make a decision. Making decisions aren't a bad thing. Um, you know, if I, if I have to figure out whether or not what matters to me more, the poison or the experience counter, you know, that's actually, I think, an interesting decision. Um, the other thing this card does is you'll notice it says, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, dot, dot, dot. So basically, that is landfall. So one of the things that Dave Humphreys, Dave Humphreys was the set lead, loves to do is he loves to bring back old mechanics, especially ability words, and stick them in the set as one-ofs. So this is a good example of, this is landfall. Why doesn't it say landfall? Um, the reason it doesn't is, one of the things we always worry about is general vocabulary, that if you put too much vocabulary in the set, it can overwhelm people. Um, but... Uh, an ability word doesn't require to have the word. Like landfall, if you take off landfall, the card tells you what it does. Uh, and so what we tend to do is we put stuff where if there's only one spell, like if you put landfall in the spell, it makes people believe like, oh, I got to look out this other landfall card, but there's not. This is the only one. So we don't label it in sets where there's not, you know, multiples. Um, but the idea is, look, it, does, it still plays like landfall. Um, ability words you can't interact with with other cards anyway, meaning you can't do stuff like all creatures with landfall gain. Um, because you can't trigger off things that are ability words. 
anyway, uh, this was Dave sort of combining um, proliferate with landfall. One of the things you'll notice here, when I made land, uh, it's not, not landfall, um, when I made proliferate uh, back in Scars of Mirrodin, um, I had turned in, uh, you know, the team, we had turned in a much higher as fan of proliferate. In fact, it was meant to be a lot more of a limited thing. Um, but uh, development at the time, uh, you know, play design at the time, got kind of nervous about it and really, really lowered the amount of proliferate. Now, be aware, in that environment, proliferate was more about punishing the opponent of killing creatures and putting poison on them, where this is more of a building up thing. Um, but anyway, uh, with the play design team we have now, we are much more willing to be a little more aggressive with our proliferating, more repetitive proliferating, more proliferating at lower, lower rarities. Um, and so a card like this is really nice because this... You know, Evolution Stage really allows you to sort of build uh, in, in draft a proliferation deck. You know, this is the kind of card that if you get early, you really can start choosing to take cards that are good to proliferate and building something that can proliferate. Because the key to a proliferation deck is you need to proliferate a lot. And so the, the spells that allow you to proliferate multiple times are very powerful in helping promote limited and constructed proliferate strategies. Next, Fibblethip Velost. One and a blue, so two mana, two mana total, one of which is blue. He's a 1-1 one, one legendary creature, Homunculus. When Fibblethip Veloss enters the battlefield, draw a card. If it entered from your library or was cast from your library, um, draw two cards instead. When Fibblethip becomes the target of a spell, shuffle Fibblethip into its owner's library. Okay, so Fibblethip first existed in, I think, original Ravnica on a card called Totally Lost. Um, totally Lost was a card that put a creature on the top of your library. Um, and they drew this little homunculus. Um, now, now, there are homunculi in Ravnica, and they, the homunculi appear on more than one card, but for some reason, just the way Fibblethip, and he was named in the, not only did he appear on the art, but he was named in the flavor text. It's probably a comment. A, the art looked really cute, and then he had a name. Uh, by the way, it's pronounced Fibblethip. So if you just kind of, there's no vowels in, in the homunculus' names, but in this particular one, if you just kind of assume there's eyes, um, uh, anyway, Fibblethip. Uh, anyway, Fibblethip went on to be kind of a crowd favorite. Um, uh, it started with people just making memes out of him, and then we recognized that people liked him, so we, we made a plushie out of him, and we made some items you could buy, like a phone case and stuff. Um, and then, when we went back to Ravnica, we, hide, we started hiding him in pictures. He became sort of Ravnica's Where's Waldo. Um, and so Fibblethip just shows up a whole bunch now in, in just different pictures on Ravnica. Um, so anyway, the story is I'm working on Unstable, and one of the things that the audience had been asking for is they really wanted to see Fibblethip. A bunch of them wanted to see a planeswalking Fibblethip. Um, so I knew I needed to make some fun cards, and so I was trying to figure out what to do with my planeswalker. Um, and so I said, oh, well, what if the planeswalker was Fibblethip? That, that, that is an idea I had. So I went to talk to the creative team, and I said to them, look, I'm thinking of maybe doing a Fibblethip card, but... I don't want to do one if you're going to do it. Like, if Black Border is going to do a Fibblethip card, I, I let it be in Black Border. Um, but if you guys have no plans to make a Fibblethip card, I will make a Fibblethip card. Uh, and they said, no, 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 we, we have plans. We would like to do a Black Border Fibblethip card. So I did not make it in Unstable, knowing that Black Border was planning to make one. I mean, one of the big things about Unstable, or just Silver Border sets in general, is I like to do things that Black Border isn't doing. Um, so it, it seemed like a golden opportunity. Uh, but once I found out they were doing it, I did not, I did not make Fibblethip. Um, so when we got to War of the Spark, so one of the problems with legendary creatures from Ravnica is in guild sets, 
the guild structure takes up all the legendary creatures. It's very hard to get in other legendary creatures because you have a, a leader of your guild and often you have a champion of your guild and there's just, there's a lot going on. Um, but when we got to War of the Spark, one of the nice things about War of the Spark was it was set on Ravnica, but not a guild set. There were just spaces to do legendary things that we couldn't normally do. So one of the ideas here was, okay, now is the time to do all the legendary creatures people have ever wanted on Ravnica that have been a problem to fit in, but now that we don't have to worry about the guilds, we can fit them in. And Fibblethip fit perfectly in that camp. So I went to... Um, I think we made an early version of Fibblethip. So Fibblethip's inspiration, by the way, uh, in Time Spiral, I made a card called Norin the Wary. Uh, and Norin the Wary was a... Uh, was a character from Flavor Text that had shown up in Alpha and a few other places. And basically the whole joke is he was just afraid of everything. Uh, and that he, the reason he had lived as long as he had was he was very wary. Uh, he, he ran away from any potential thing that might be dangerous. Uh, and so I thought it'd be fun in Time Spiral to make a legendary creature for Norn the Wary. And the whole shtick of the card was that he's hard to kill. Um, and we felt like it'd kind of be cute to some, something in that vein for, um, you know, Norn the Wary went on to be a very popular card. Something that, the idea was, it wasn't this was a powerful creature. He's not. He's a little tiny creature. Um, the, the, the saving grace for him was, A, he's hard to kill, um, just because he's always lost. Uh, and B, that there's something quirky about him that you could build around. So I think that whenever you target him, he gets shuffled into your library, was in the earliest version of the card. Um, set design messed around with a bunch of different triggers. And in the end, they liked this one where he was a cantrip creature, but... If you got it in from your library, you got to draw two cards. So, like, if you can figure out how to get him into play from your library, you know, he's actually netting you extra cards. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed that, and I was happy with how the card came out. Um, so that is Fibblethip. Okay, next, speaking of legendary creatures, Feather the Redeemed. So she costs red, white, white. So three mana total, one of which is red, two of which is white. Uh, she's a legendary angel. She's a 3-4. Um, she's a creature, obviously. She has flying, and she has whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell that targets a creature you control, exile that card instead of putting it into your graveyard as it is as it resolves. If you do, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So the idea with Feather is, I mean, the, mechanically is, that whenever you target any creature you control, instead of that going away, it kind of... Um, phases or flickers away till end of turn. Um, it's kind of like a buyback spell, except the buyback spell, I mean, it turns all your instant sorcerers into one-turn buybacks. Meaning, I, I get it, and I can do it again next turn, but buyback, you got it right away, so you can cast a spell many times in one turn. This keeps that from happening. Okay, so Feather, uh, in the original Ravnica, there was a novel, and in the novel, there was a beat cop, a Boros beat cop, named Agros Kos. And he had a partner who was an angel who had her feathers clipped, I think, um, named Feather. And um, we made a card out of Argus Koth, uh, but I don't think we knew when we made the set that Feather was going to be... Like, she... We, when we had planned out the novel, I guess we would known who the main character was, uh, but we didn't know the other characters in the novel. And so, once again, it was one of those things where by the time the novel got written, the set had been made. So just, we never made Feather. And people were like, where's Feather? Where's Feather? Because um, whenever we make a character that has a name, people are like, where's that character? Um, and so, Feather, we talked about Feather showing up and return to Ravnica, or in Gatecrash, I guess, that's where Boris was. Um, but the problem was, she wasn't really a main, she wasn't one of the leaders anymore of the Boros. In fact, she never really was the leader of the Boros. Um, 
And anyway, we, we almost put her in Gate Crash, and then we talked about putting her, I think, in the Commander deck. There have been a bunch of times we tried to get her in the sets and just never found the right spot. But we were, it was where the spark. We were in, um, we were in um, Ravnica, and we didn't have to worry about guilds. So it was time to do characters people have been asking for. So Feather is another. Now, Feather also does another thing people have been asking for is a lot of times red-white legendary creatures, especially Boros ones, tend to be fighting-oriented. They tend to be aggressive. And in Commander, uh, aggressive decks just aren't particularly strong because you tend to run out of steam and you've, you've, everybody starts with more life and there's more opponents you have to defeat. So instead of, you know, having to take 20 points from one person, you've got to take 40 points from three or four or five people. So aggressive decks don't work quite as well. So one of the issues is red and white decks tend to be very combat-oriented, uh, especially in Boros. And so we've got a lot of requests for, can you give me different things to do with my red-white? Give me commanders in red-white that just do different things. And so we saw an opportunity to do Feather, and we saw an opportunity to do something that's a little bit different that is uh, a red-white deck you can play that might do some cool stuff in... Because um, repeatable spells, for example, people are always asking about white and red getting more card advantage. And this is a good way to get card advantage, where, oh, whenever I cast a spell targeting one of my creatures, I essentially, essentially draw a new card. I mean, at end of turn, it's the card I already had, but I, essentially I'm going up in card advantage, that I, I'm able to cast these spells every turn. And that helps really sort of up the... The virtual card advantage. I mean, it's. I mean, it's, it's not even virtual. It's real card advantage. Um, you're not drawing. You're not drawing new cards, but you are essentially drawing cards that are the cards you already had, um, which can be very powerful as it allows you over time to sort of build up your hand. Anyway, um, that was Feather. Feather actually has been quite popular, so um, I'm, I'm glad. I knew it took a while to get Feather out, but I'm glad people are enjoying Feather. Okay, next the finales. Um, the, the finales were. A cycle, uh, are they rare or mythic rare? I think they're mythic rare. Um, so they are cycles that are X spells, meaning they're all sorceries. They all cost X uh, colored mana, colored mana. We call M. M stands for colored mana. It used to be C, by the way. C used to stand for colored mana. But then we made colorless mana, and C is now colorless mana. So we now use M to mean mana of... Uh, we, we use this like in cycles. That This represents colored mana. So XMM in uh, design speak, would mean X and the appropriate mana of the color in its color. Um, and each one of these represents a big climactic moment in the story. Um, but the cool mechanical thing of it is they, they're an X spell, they do something, but if X is 10 or greater, so if you spend 12 or more mana on it, um, the effect gets, goes into overdrive. So let's go through that. I'm going to go through these in alphabetical order, so not, not Wooberg order. So, Finale of Devastation. X, green, green. Sorcery. Search your library or enter a graveyard for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. If X is 10 or more, creatures you control get plus X plus X and gain haste until end of turn. Okay, now, green is king of getting creatures out of the, out of the library. This can get them out of the graveyard. Green does not normally reanimate things, so this is a little bit of a bend for green. Um, green normally can get its own... Cre- um, green has creatures that can get themselves out of the graveyard. It doesn't traditionally uh, reanimate other things. So this is special here. This is a little bit of a bend. Um, but uh, overall, green is number one in getting cards out of a library. Uh, and the idea here is that if I do this late enough, you know, if I have 10 mana, I can get a creature that costs 10 or less. Or, or Note, by the way, X isn't locked at 10. You can spend as much mana as you want. So 
if for some reason you have an 11 cost to 12 cost creature, you can spend more mana. Um, the idea is at 10, you're, most creatures you, you can go get. Um, but at 10, at, you know, X, if you spend 10 green green, I can go get a creature that costs 10 or less from anywhere, graveyard or library, put it in play, it gets plus 10, plus 10, and haste. It can attack right away. Um, I'll note, by the way, that Finale of Devastation is a card in this set that allows you to get Fibblethip into play from your library. So, um, while the card wasn't necessarily designed, that, it wasn't designed to be built around Unlimited. It's a rare card. Um, uh, we did know that, okay, well, if you happen, I mean, not that you'll get Fibblethip and Finale of Devastation all that often, but it is possible. It is possible to get two cards off of Fibblethip in, in, within Limited. Okay, next, Finale of Eternity, X Black Black. So it's an X spell with two black mana. Sorcery, destroy up to three target creatures with toughness X or less. If X is 10 or more, all creatures from the, your graveyard uh, uh, go to the battlefield. Return all creatures from your graveyard to the battlefield. Um, so the idea here was, I think they toyed around at some point with killing X creatures, um, but it just proved to be a little bit too powerful. So now it's like, oh, what well, only ever kills three creatures. The reason you want X to be bigger is you get to kill bigger creatures if you have a higher X. And the reason you want to get to 10 black black is not only do you kill things, but you then rise all the creatures out of your graveyard. Um, and I, I think this ties into Liliana rising the, the, um, the zombies. So anyway, it's zombie-oriented. That, that's another reason the, uh, the finale is sort of tied into raising creatures from the graveyard. Uh, and in general, there's, a little, there's an aesthetic that's nice in that, oh, I kill your creatures, but ha-ha, if I have enough mana, not only do I kill your creatures, but I get, I get creatures back. Okay, next. Finale of Glory. X white white. Sorcery. Create X 2 2 white soldier creature tokens with vigilance. If X is 10 or more, also create X 4 4 white angel creature tokens with flying and vigilance. Um, so the idea here that's cute is you get a lots of 2 2s. And to be honest, just getting X 2 2s is pretty good. This card is very good, um, especially limited. Um, but if you ever get to 10 white white, not only do you get 10 2 2s, you get 10 4 4 flying angels. Um, all of which have vigilance, so to sort of tie them together. Um, Finale of Promise. So Finale of Promise is X red red, so X mana with two red manas, X spell with two red manas. Uh, sorcery, you may cast up to one target instant card and up to one target sorcery card from your graveyard, each with a converted mana cost of X or less, without paying their mana cost. If a card that cast this way would put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. If X is 10 or more, copy each of those spells twice. You may choose new targets for the copies. So the idea here is this, the red one works kind of like the black one. It lacks how many things it affects. Like you're only ever casting one instant and one sorcery. But the more X you spend, the bigger it gets to be. And since you're not paying for them, essentially you're kind of paying for them with your X spell. Um, and if you ever get to 10 red red, not, not only do you get spell A and spell B, the instant and the sorcery, you get three copies of the instant and three copies of the sorcery. I mean, you get one spell and two copies, but I mean, you get three, three of them, three of each. And so instead of just doing two spells, you have six spells. So that, that's a pretty, pretty um, big effect. Finally, Finale of Revelation. X blue blue, sorcery, draw X cards, uh, and then if X is 10 or more, instead shuffle your graveyard into your library, draw X cards, untap up to five lands, and you have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. And then you X out. All, all these, by the way, did I say you exile? Oh, nah, maybe not all you exile. Maybe this this one you exile. Yeah, just this one. This is the most dangerous one probably because it's card drawer. Um, so the idea here is you, you get to draw cards, 
if you spend 10 mana, not only do you get to draw 10 cards, or how many mana you spend, 10 or above, um, but you get mana back so that you can cast. One of the biggest problems with the spell is, normally if I'm spending, I want X to be as big as possible, I'm drawing a lot of cards, um, that I, I don't always have mana to then cast the spells that I'm drawing. But if you cast it for the, the bigger version, then I get five mana. So I get to essentially cast one of my you know, medium spells. Um, and then, because it's dangerous, we exile it. Um, they don't all exile, that's just the blue one. Okay, next. next Flux Channeler. So Flux cha- Channeler costs two and a blue. Uh, it's a 2-2 human wizard. It's a creature. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, proliferate. Um, so this is another repeatable proliferating card. Um, this is another card to let you sort of build around Unlimited. Um, the idea here is, one of the things that we're trying to do a little bit different is make different color combinations care about different things. And so one of the things that blue does is really cares about spells and allows you to mix and match. And, um, for example, if you want to make a um, proliferating deck in which you want to be more spell-heavy, you can do that. Um, Also, remember that uh, proliferate plays with a mass. And so blue is one of the colors that it masses. So another thing this lets you do is... um, if you have a lot of the mass spells in blue are, are spells. So this also just makes all your mass spells a little bit stronger because they just make your, your, your army bigger. Um, anyway, it's funny. Uh, when I made Scars of Mirrodin, I wanted a lot more of this kind of stuff in it. It ended up getting pulled out, but I'm excited to see it in, in, in this set. Okay, next. Gideon Blackblade. So one white, white, legendary planeswalker Gideon. As long as, it's, as long as it's your turn, Gideon Blackblade is a 4-4 human soldier creature with indestructible, it's still a planeswalker. Uh, the second thing is prevent all damage that be dealt to Gideon, Pla- uh, Gideon Blackblade during your turn. Plus one, up to one other target creature you control gains your choice of vigilance, lifelink, and indestructible to end of turn. Minus six, uh, energy, exile target non-land permanent. Oh, and he has a loyalty of four, I don't think I said that. Um, so the idea is you get him into play. He's a creature. On your turn, he's always a creature. 4-4 four, four human soldier, indestructible, because um, that's kind of his thing. Um, by the way, one of the things we try to do is we try to make sure that each planeswalker has a mechanical identity that is uniquely their own. Gideon is one of the strongest identities. Is Gideon gets in the fight. Gideon becomes a creature and gets into the fight. Um, and that's a real telling element of all the Gideons. It's like, well, Gideon isn't just going to stand back and cast spells. He's going to fight. So he always becomes a creature. Here, he's a Mythic Rare. We have four slots of the Mythic Rare. He's the only one that does two slots for um, static slash triggered abilities. Um, why this isn't one ability? Uh, I mean, it, it protects him in a couple different ways, and it needed to be two abilities. That's a, I'm not quite sure. Um, and the, his plus ability is sort of to, make, you know, to help others, and then his minus is very useful, answers a lot, a lot of issues. So... Um, you know, he starts with loyalty four and his ultimate's uh, minus six, so it doesn't take that long to get to the point. And, and that ability is very useful. Um, in early design, we, we played around a bit with this Planeswalker playing up his story beat a little more. Uh, you know, his big sacrifice. Uh, spoilers. Um, and for a while, we actually had a version where he could sacrifice himself to protect other things. Um, but it was a little bit rules complex, and anyway, we ended up, it was a cute idea and it was very flavorful, but it didn't end up playing quite as well, um, so we ended up not doing it. But I, I really, I mean, I, I normally envision when we do the Planeswalkers, we tend to take a very flavorful stab at them, 
Uh, and then as they get into set design, they have to play around with making sure they're, you know, they're playable and standard and stuff. And so they, they, t- they tend to have to tweak them to make sure that that works. Okay, so I talked about the God Eternals. So let's talk, let's go more in detail on the God Eternals. So there's a cycle of God Eternals. Um, now note, there's a missing red God because um, Hazaret did not die. Um, I will get there. We, we did fill in the red God with a native from Ravnica. Um, uh, also a God, although not a zombie God. Okay, so God Eternal uh, Bantu. Three black black for a five six legendary creature. It's a zombie God. It's got menace. When God Eternal Bantu enters the battlefield, sacrifice any number of other permanents, then draw that many cards. When God Eternal Bantu dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you may put it in its owner's library third from the top. Okay, so a couple ways we built the gods. First off, all the gods had a creature ability in their version and um, in um, Amonkhet. We kept that. So Bantu had Menace. He has Menace now. We wanted a little bit of continuity. Um, they all had Indestructible in their Amonkhet versions. We wanted to make it a little bit easier to deal with them so that they, like, you could actually make them go away for a while. Now, given they come back, so their Indestructibility, like, rather than make them harder to destroy... It's sort of like, well, they keep coming back. So it has a flavor of indestructibility without actually being indestructible. So that was us sort of making a slightly less indestructible indestructible. Um, and then the other ability, uh, it had to fit to their overall flavor. Remember, the gods each had sort of a flavor to them, what their trial was about. Um, and like Bantu was ambition, I believe. So the idea of doing what it takes to get what you want is very much a, a Bantu thing. So his ability really does that. Like, hey, you... You want to get ahead and get cards? Well, you can do that, but it's going to cost something, and that's your creatures. Um, and so, or, or your permanent, sorry, not just creatures. Uh, but anyway, that is Bantu. So God Eternal Kefnet. So Kefnet was two blue-blue, so four mana total, two which is blue. Uh, he is a legendary creature, zombie god. Um, he's four five. Uh, he has flying. You may reveal the first card you draw each turn as you draw it. Whenever you reveal an instant or sorcery card this way, copy that card, and you may cast the copy. Um, that copy costs two less to cast. So whenever you draw instant or sorcery, right then and there for two less, you can cast the instant or sorcery. Um, and then he has the, the shuffle back in thing that all the gods have. Um, so once again, Kefnet had flying originally. He has flying here. Um, he's all about wisdom. So he, we have a card drawing ability. Like He's all about now, I think knowledge was his thing. Um, so he's a card drawing ability that ties into that. Um, God Eternal Oketra, three white white, so five mana total, two which is white, a three six legendary zombie god, uh, a creature obviously, double strike. Uh, whenever you cast a creature spell, create a four four black zombie warrior creature token with vigilance. So uh, white was all about solidarity of getting along with others. So as you cast creatures, you get more creatures, get, get, get more zombies. Uh, and, when, and then when she dies, she shuffles in. Um, note, by the way, the reason it's dies or exile um, is originally it was just die, and then when when playing with the cards for um, for play design was playing with them for standard. I think they decided to make the cards viable in standard that needed the exile clause. So anyway, so that's when they that's when it also got shuffled in for exile as well as for dies. Um, um, uh, oh, the other note we got on Oketra is a lot of people are like, why doesn't she have reach? Because in the story, Oketra. She, uh, she has a, um, her weapon is this bow, and she, um, Gideon gets this Pegasus that she ends up taking out. And she's like, oh, in the story, we see her. She kills the Pegasus. That flies. She should have reach. Um, and the problem is, it's a cycle. The gods all have the ability they had originally. 
no God has two abilities. And so um, part of trying to keep them consistent. Also, she had a bow before, by the way. She did have a bow. Like, she has the same weapon she had before. She didn't have reached last time. So anyway, even though there is a story point, um, the balance of the cards and making the cycle work the same and having them overlap with the Amaket stuff, we decided just was more important than this one story moment of, of her firing down the Pegasus. Um, finally, God Eternal Ronas. Uh, three green green, legendary creature, zombie god, 5-5, five, five, death touch. Uh, when God Eternal Ronas enters the battlefield, double the power of each other creature you control until end of turn. Those creatures gain vigilance until end of turn. So you basically you make them, um, you double their power and you give them vigilance. Uh, and, and then when it dies or is exiled, obviously it's third from the top. Um, green, uh, Ronus was all about strength, so it makes things stronger. Um, and once again, it, it's just sort of a, an effect that if you can use this, it just gives your give all of your creatures a, a big boost. Um, the, uh, the, the Eternals ended up being very powerful. One of the notes that we got um, was that in limited, they're very hard to deal with. Um, I mean, I know these things were pushed for, for standard. Um, and normally, we don't worry too much about mythic rares. Like, mythic rares tend to be bombs in limited. Um, in retrospect, knowing what I know now, yeah, maybe we were supposed to put a, little, a few more answers specifically for the gods in at lower rarities. I know blue has uh, Kazmina Transformation. Uh, but there, there's not a lot of other clean answers of the gods at common uh, because of because of uh, a mass. We there's no pacifism and no lockdown. There's some cards that normally you would use to deal with the gods we don't have because we're we, we sort of didn't want to harm armies. Um, anyway, I, I don't know if in retrospect maybe we're supposed to make a pacifism and not work on token creatures or something. Um, but anyway, I, I have gotten the note. Um, that the gods are a little bit hard to deal with, a little harder to deal with than people like in Limited. So, message, message received. Okay, next is Huatli. Oh, ha, ha, sorry. Huatli's Raptor. So, green and a white for a 2 3 um, Vigilance Dinosaur. Um, and uh, when Huatli's Raptor enters the battlefield, proliferate. Um, so I think this card like, pre-existed Huatli, like pre-existing being Huatli's card. So one thing we did with all of Planeswalkers is we gave them a signature spell, uh, which represented their kind of magic. Uh, Huatli's big thing is dinosaurs. We wanted to have a dinosaur. So we said, okay, we should make one of the creatures hers. Um, this card, I think, was white-green already. Um, white, the proliferate is in white-green and blue, um, and it fit. It just thematically sort of fit. So... I think we made this and then later realized that it makes sense being, like, that we can make this, we knew we needed a dinosaur, we knew Huatli was white-green, this card was white-green, like, oh, this could be Huatli's dinosaur, sort of, sort of all came together, but the card was first designed, I believe, in a vacuum as a proliferate helper for white-green, and then realized that, oh, that makes sense, that could be Huatli's dinosaur. So Huatli, the sun's heart, so two and a hybrid mana, the hybrid's green or white, so two and green or white, a legendary creature Huatli, loyalty seven. Each creature you control assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power. And then minus three, you gain life equal to the greatest um, toughness among creatures you control. So the idea here was we were trying to make an ability that, that quietly plays with dinosaurs and bigger creatures. We wanted an ability that like played well with bigger creatures, but also worked in limited that didn't require big creatures, just was better with bigger creatures. 
Um, and so we ended up using what we call the Dorn ability, which was first seen on Dorn in, um, uh, in I think it was um, Lorwyn. Uh, and Dorwyn uh, was green, white, black, uh, and had this ability that did damage equal to his toughness rather than his power. It was done at the time as kind of a tree, like an unofficial tree folk lord. Um, it didn't say tree folk, but tree folk tend to have a lot of toughness, so it worked well with tree folk. Um, that ability proved to be pretty popular. Uh, we brought it back a number of times. I think now it's base green, uh, primary green, secondary white. So green and white seem like a fine place to put it. Um, one of the challenges in general with bringing all the Planeswalkers into the set is each one of them had things that kind of connected to stuff that made sense in their home world that may or may not make sense here. Like there's not a lot of dinosaurs here, so giving her exactly dinosaur tribal would have been weird. There just wasn't enough dinosaurs to make it work. But we gave her an ability that plays well with dinosaurs. If you want to make a dinosaur deck and put Whatley the Sun's Heart in it, it'll play nicely there. The other thing we did is we wanted to tie the static ability... Um, with the um, the uh, minus loyalty ability, and by once again, this is another trick of how aesthetics works is by connecting them by having something connect them. Like, oh, they both care about toughness, and all of a sudden, life gain and damage, which don't normally seem you know necessarily all that connected, start feeling connected. Like, oh, she cares about toughness. Well, she cares about toughness for combat damage. She cares about toughness for life gain. Um, so the other white green planeswalker, which is a Johnny at rare, also has some life gain. We talked a little bit if it was okay that they both had life gain. Uh, we decided that a life gain is such a good part of green white. It's pretty universal, meaning every deck can use it. And we were how we were using the life gain, which is different enough. We decided it was okay that they had life gain without having the same life gain. Um, but anyway, that is where Hotly came from. Okay, next, ignite the beacon. Instant. Search your library for up to two planeswalker cards. Reveal them. Put them into your hand, shuffle your library. So one of the things we tend to do, we don't do a lot of tutoring these days. Tutoring means go to your library, get a card, put it into your hand. Um, But when we have a theme, we like to make sure people have access to the theme. So um, we did want to put... uh, We we once before had done a card that's capable of... I think we did a... um, uh, In Dominaria, I think we did a um, card that tutored for... Um, historic things, of which Legendary is a subset. Um, so this card specifically is just... Uh, I mean, which Planeswalkers is a subset. This card just gets Planeswalkers, um, but it gets you two of them. Um, and we kept it in white, which is where we do doing tutoring for Planeswalkers. Um, anyway, there's a lot of Planeswalkers in the set, and a lot of Planeswalkers that do niche things that we thought were kind of cool that you could go get them. Um, but anyway, it was super in theme, so we did a tutor here. Okay, next, Ilharg, the Raise Boar. Three red red, legendary creature, boar god, 6-6, six, six, trample. When Ilharg, the Raise Borg, attacks, you may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. Return that creature to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. Uh, and then w- when it dies, or, or is exiled, you put it three from the top. So we made Ilharg the red part of the god cycle. Uh, he is a god. He's not a zombie god, so he's not... He's unlike them. He's he's the, uh, the gruel prey to him. Um, we had... The creative had put him into the story because they knew there was going to be a gap in red and sort of made this opportunity so when we needed to get there, we could fill out the god cycle. And so there is the god in red. Given not a zombie god, um, not covered in Lazatep or anything. Um, some people were mad that, that um, the gruel god was not red-green. Um, the issue was it was part of a cycle. We were trying to be clean. Uh, people get really upset when we make cycles that are uh, 
mechanically a little bit off, so we didn't do that. Um, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, I call it the Vorthos versus Mel problem, or a Vorthos versus Mel problem, where some people like flavor above all. I don't care if cards are not exactly the same if it matches the flavor. And some players are like, no, 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 you make cycles. The cleanliness of the cycle is important to me. Uh, I don't care if it's not 100% matching flavor if the, if the design is there. And so that is the point where Vorthos is one thing and Mel one another. Vorthos and Mel often can overlap and agree and want the same things. But in this particular case, uh, we, we leaned more toward the Mel way of thinking of making a cycle, making it clean and connected. Um, people really dislike when our cycles are not kind of connected. Uh, and so we did that here. Um, given, I given that it's not a zombie, so I mean, it's not perfectly connected. Um, they're not all zombie guys, but uh, because zombies don't matter, they matter a little tiny bit. They don't matter a lot. Uh, most of the zombies that matter in this is zombie tokens, of which these aren't zombie tokens. So we decided that's where we'd have the disconnect, where we'd have the flavor disconnect, um, but mechanically have them line up. Anyway, uh, Ilharg is borrowing an ability from a card called Sneak Attack uh, that, that I made way back in Tempest. Um, we've done a few cards that you... I think Sneak Attack has inspired a few other cards. Um, sneak Attack, though, um, once you use the creature, it's sacked and you never got the creature back. This, when you use the creature, you get to use it for a turn, but then it goes back to your hand. So you do get... You don't lose the creature. Um, so anyway, that is cool. And I, I think um, th- there have been a bunch of... We knew once we said there's a giant boar god that people would go, oh, where's the boar god? Make a boar god card. So um, we kind of threw ourselves a path to catch... Um, Sometimes you can do that. You can say, oh, let's set ourselves up. Sometimes we write stories and we have no intent necessarily making the card. Um, or we write the stories after the cards are done or whatever. Uh, sometimes like this, when we made it up, like we, I believe the, the, I think the boar was made knowing that they wanted to fill it in. I think that's where the boar came from. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that. That's me guessing. But I, I knew that they were aware there wasn't a red god and they wanted to make sure that they could make the cycle. So that was thought... That was thought through. It wasn't like an accident. Like, oh my God, there just happens to be a god that could be red. Uh, that was very much thought through. Okay. How are we doing here? Uh, let's see. I just got to work, but let me, let me see where we're at. Okay, I'm going to stop um, on I. There's one more I, and then I'll stop. And ne- next time, we'll pick up with, with J. Um, okay, so we'll, we're going to end today with Invade the City. One blue, red, sorcery. A mass X, where X is the number of instances of sorcery cards in your graveyard. Um, so the idea here is uh, that we wanted to... A mass shows up in three different colors. It shows up in all the bowls colors. Uh, red, blue, blue, black, and red. And so we wanted to definitely give you an opportunity to um, build a different kind of a mass deck. Uh, and so the red, black, a mass deck is very, very creature-based. Uh, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. The, there's a blue, black, a... It's a blue black, a red black, and a blue red. Um, I think the blue black is the creature based one, and I think the red black is a sacrifice based one. Where um, one of the things that black and red do is they make a lot of creatures. Is that one of the ways to play with proliferate is um, not proliferate, sorry, with a mass is a mass. Every time you use a mass, if you don't have a token, you make a token. Now, one way is to build up the biggest possible token you can, but the other way to play it is constantly be sacrificing your token so that every time I'm playing in a mass card, I'm getting another creature, essentially, and you can use a mass to take advantage of uh, as a means to generate creatures for advantage. Um, I think black-red plays that way. Anyway, blue-red is more spell-oriented. Blue tends to have a mass more on spells. Red kind of cuts the difference, and I think black is more on creatures. Um, so 
Um, when you play uh, with blue and red, or maybe I said that backwards. Anyway, between blue and red, there's a bunch of spells. That There's a blue-red deck where you can play a mass where it's more spell-oriented than it is permanent-oriented. Uh, and blue-red already has some other spell stuff going on. So anyway, that was designed to give you just a different... Like, we, whenever we put a mechanic in more than two colors, uh, especially if we put it in three colors, we think about the different archetypes you might draft and make sure that if I'm playing that mechanic in those color combinations, that I'm just drawn to do slightly different things. That way, if I play a blue-red mass deck, it just is different than my black-red mass deck or my blue-black mass deck. Okay, guys, I am now at work, so... I um, hope you guys are enjoying it. Obviously, I'm, uh, I just finished I, so we got a few more podcasts to do. I hope you guys are enjoying it. It's fun talking War of the Spark, but I'm now at work. So we all know what that means. This is the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.